All right, we are going to go into today's scripture reading, which comes from uh, Genesis chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 8 through 17. Uh, this is in the ESV, and uh, so for those here in person, there's ESV Bibles under your chairs. For those joining us at home, uh, if you want to have your own Bible or a Bible app, that might come in handy. We're also going to share the scripture uh, behind me, but I know on phone screens and things like that, sometimes the scripture can appear very, very small. And so you, you might want to look that up for a reference. We're also going to be kind of jumping around a little bit in the Genesis account. So, um, yeah, having your Bible handy uh, is good for that as well. If you could please stand as able, uh, if you're uh, here in person, if you're comfortable doing this at home, uh, once you're ready to read God's word. Again, it's Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today's message is called the covenant of grace. We are talking about how we become whole in Christ, in God. And we have been going through some of the early accounts in scripture through Genesis. And as we have been going through that, you know, we hear about the beautiful, good creation that God created and how uh, humans chose to uh, rebel against God, to uh, choose uh, this fruit that they thought would make them even more like God. And that they, we, we fell. We fell from that perfect fellowship and that perfect union with God. And uh, last week, we went over some of the consequences of that with Cain and Abel and with, with uh, just the sin that kind of takes over Cain, where he kills his own brother. And as we've been working through this, um, I have to say that um, I didn't want to do today's scripture. Um, I think there are some scripture and some stories that we just don't want to talk about you know, that are just kind of tough and, and kind of rough, especially to modern ears and the way we think about humanity and the way we think about God now. Um, I have to tell you, the story of Noah and the flood is one of those stories where, you know, it's basically the eradication of every living thing on earth except for the ones that happen to be in this ark, right? And so it's a story that it's like, man, that's so, like, extreme, Right? And that's so like, like judgy and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, and, and so, friends, I, I have to say that um, as I was kind of praying this week, um, I, I felt convicted that this is a story that I don't think we should skip over. Um, I, I think that there are some things that we do need to face because 
I think that's actually part of our brokenness, <laughs> is that we don't want to face certain things, certain realities. Um, and it's not just the reality of God. It's also the reality of our brokenness. Last week, we talked about sin, and we mentioned that sin uh, in the Greek is, is referred to as harmatia, uh, which is an archery term. It means to miss the mark. And this idea of sin is that we are not uh, in complete union, or we're not walking exactly as God wants us to be. And so we are kind of like, like by definition, we're missing the mark, right? We're, we're not with God. We're somewhere else, right? And we see that in those Genesis stories that we just mentioned, right? Human beings are hiding from God, right? Can't, can't even lift his face up to God to face his sin, to face God and, and, and you know, the reality of what he's done. And so I, I have to say, friends, that um, there's, there's something to be said about us not wanting to face sin, right? It, it's just kind of an ugly word. And, 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 and today, like with the world that we live in, you really don't hear people talking about sin <laughs> that much. It's not like a very popular topic. Um, but we're going to go even further today because I think we have to if we're going to deal with how to become whole, right? Because today we're not just going to be talking about individual sin right? Obviously, we saw that with Cain and Abel, Cain killing his brother, right? It's pretty bad, pretty terrible sin, right? But today, we're going to be talking about collective sin, the sins that we all commit together. And, and so let's take a look at, um, uh, again, one of the, the things, one of the reasons why I think we can't skip over uh, the account of uh, uh, Noah and this flood is that it takes up four chapters in Genesis, I mean, the creation account, it's like one chapter and change, right? The fall is like one chapter, right? And the flood is four chapters. I mean, it's a good chunk of Genesis, right? And so I didn't want to ignore that. But let's look at the beginning of this flood account where it talks about why God would do this, right? And it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man, of of humans, was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so we see that God is looking over his creation, right? We, we had already said that when God created us, right? It was the first message that he said, very good, right? Like, mm, this is so good, right? Like, this creation is just awesome because we've been created in the image and likeness of God, and we know that, right? But sin, in many ways, has obscured that, that image, Right? So much of wholeness is going to be learning how to get back to the fellowship that we have with God, but also to the image and likeness of God. Right? That has been obscured. And so now when God looks at humanity as they've lived a few generations, right? past Cain, past Abel, past uh, Adam and Eve, and now human beings have kind of proliferated over the earth, and he looks at them and he's like, what have I done? Look at these humans. Look at how wicked they are. Right? And it says, every intention of, their, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
What does that mean, friends? Does it mean that these like early humans were just like these like you know kind of like conniving like villains like mwah, mwah, mwah. isn't it so funny like you watch these TV shows and these movies and it's like so obvious who the villain is right like maybe they have like crazy eyes or something or you just look at them and you're like yeah you're a villain I love those movies and shows where they have like a character that, that like you're not supposed to know that they're the villain yet and they try to be all nice and whatever and you're like yeah he's the villain right like like you know and like the second act they're gonna like reveal their true colors and be like it was me all along right and no one's surprised you know it never works out that way for many of us we don't even know that this is true of us because it's just our natural state. That's what God is saying when he says that every intention of the thoughts of the heart of man was only evil continually, right? And so what does this mean? Let me try to explain where kind of sin comes from. And so as you know that the primary sin was we wanted to be God, right? Which means we didn't want to listen to God. We wanted to decide what was good and right for us, right? Isn't that what the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil was? Like, I get to decide, right? I'm going to be the one who determines what's good and what's bad for my life, right? And so there's something within us. There's this instinct that we have where we have an inclination to choose a certain way, right? And that's just your default setting. That's all of us all of the time. So think of it this way. Is there ever times where, like, like you just want to do something? I mean, basically, it's like every moment, right? You see something you want to eat, you're like, I want to eat it. You, you, you see someone you want to talk to, you're like, I want to talk to them. You, you think about, like, I, I want to check my phone. Like, I'm just going to do it, right? And you have these thoughts that you have automatically, and most of us, what we do is we listen to them, right? How many times, though, have you had that thought, that, that voice in your head that's like, let's do this. And then there's kind of a second thought where you're like, wait, 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 wait. That's actually not good. I don't know. Maybe like you're like, oh, I want a donut. But the donut is like on, on a, a counter and, you know, you have to pay for that donut. But maybe the, like you don't have money and you're like, but I really, really want that donut, right? But there's a thought that's like, no, 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 no. You shouldn't take that donut because that's stealing. Stealing's wrong, Right? Like, maybe there's a girl, and, and you're like, oh, yo, I want to talk to that girl. But you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's actually my, my, like, that's my boy's girl, right? I shouldn't talk to her. That's wrong, right? Right? You guys following me? We have these little voices that are telling us these things all the time. How about this one? Like, like you're supposed to study. You know you should be studying. But there's a voice in your head that's like, bed, nap, <laughs> right? Let's take a nap, right? Right? You have to kind of struggle with that. You could listen to that voice and be like, yeah, I'm taking a nap right now. Or you could study, right? You guys see this? There's always these kind of like forks in the road that happen. And, and our Christian understanding is that there's a base level, the top level, which is the most basic level, right? Every inclination of your heart is just kind of like, hey, let's do this thing. And it's just about, honestly, maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain. That's it. That's all that top level is trying to do, right? And it's only immediate. And that is why when you have something like, oh, I should study for a test, right? In the immediate, you feel pain when you think about studying for the test, right? You don't want to do it. And so that voice is like, oh, well, if that's painful, let's go watch YouTube instead, right? Because that'll be pleasurable. That'll be less painful. If you listen to that voice, you might get the immediate pleasure, 
but it has no consideration for the long term. Right? That voice doesn't care if you fail your test tomorrow, because <laughs> today, in this moment, you got a little relief from your discomfort. You guys see that? You guys see that? And there might be times where you're like, yeah, but I really want to talk to that girl, even though she's dating my best friend, right? But I really want to. I really want to. You really, really feel like it, and so you do. And then later, it ruins your relationship with your friend, right? Do you guys see that? And so what, what, what Scripture talks about, the way they talk about this top-layer voice is they call it the flesh. That's what God is talking about when he looks at human beings. Human beings were only listening to that voice all the time, right? They weren't listening to the second voice, and that voice we call spirit, right? And you see, like Paul, sort of like, he talks about this conflict, right, that like, I, my flesh wants to do something, and, and I, I really want to do it, but I know I shouldn't, right? And I do what I don't want to do, and what I don't want to do, I do, right? And there's this idea that we have a greater desire, right? If we learn to listen to that second voice, the deeper level, what do you really want? What is going to really make you fulfilled, right? But human beings back then, they weren't doing that. So what do you think happens when we start listening to that, that top-layer voice, well, if somebody wants something, they take it, right? If someone wants power at the expense of other people, they do it. And so people start getting oppressed, right? If someone is scared of someone, that top layer of voice is like, okay, we need to do something to protect us, even if that thought is irrational. Top layer of voice doesn't care. So then we get racism, we get all kinds of fear of this us versus them. And all kinds of things start happening. And friends, sooner or later, if everyone is listening to that voice all the time, well, you better believe you're going to have a messed up, broken world. That's exactly what happens. And God is looking at all of this. And friends, I mean, you know, we, we, we can only imagine what it was like back then without the benefit of like, laws and police and kind of like, you know, these certain societal things that are set up so that people don't just take whatever they want and do whatever they want in any given moment. Because we, we have these deterrents, right? That people are like, yeah, I could take the donut, but the pain of going to jail is going to be so much greater than that, right? The fine I'm going to have to pay, the, 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 the inconvenience of that. And so you're able to override that top layer of voice. Right? Many of us learn to do that. But imagine a world where there's just nothing holding anyone back. That's what's happening. Right? And so you don't even need to imagine um, <laughs> you know, what that world would look like because oftentimes we see so much evil in this world. Friends, just imagine for a second. Okay? Like, I, I know many people, maybe this isn't even imagining, but I know many people, they don't like to hear this truth that there is wickedness in humans, right? Sometimes like, like in this day and age, you know, you, you get people who are like, no, humans are so good, right? We're all so good. Like we're perfect. We're perfect exactly as we are. I remember seeing this commercial that's like, you know, girl, you're perfect exactly as you are. And I know what they meant. I, I know they were kind of talking about like, hey, you don't have to conform to the image of beauty in this world. Like, like you, you are perfect in many ways, right? But you're not perfect. You know what I mean? <laughs> None of us are, right? 
None of us are. That, that's part of the reason why I say every morning when you come on Sundays, I, I say God loves you exactly as you are. But he loves you enough that he doesn't want to leave you there. Right? Because in our natural state, there's a lot of messed up stuff that happens. Right? And not like, like you can talk about sin on an individual level. I mean, you know, God loves you exactly as you are. You're perfect exactly as you are. Imagine saying that to a murderer or a rapist. Right? Are we supposed to look at that and be like, mm, that's okay. That's okay. Hey, you're just getting what, what you wanted. Big, no big deal. Of course not. We look at those things, right? And, and of course, there's a part of us that's, that's like, no, that's not right. You're not supposed to do that. Right? What about some of the examples where you know, like in this passage, we're not just talking about one person murdering or one person doing something wrong. We're talking about everyone just following that top layer voice, doing whatever they want, and the world just being broken for it. Well, what about this? For those of you who are listening to this in like podcast form or something, um, it's a picture of a couple school teachers with a whole bunch of little cute kids, and they're all raising their hands in a Nazi salute. Right? Collective sin, right? We, we all kind of go along with it. And we like to think that we're just these individuals, right? And we just kind of make these individual choices, right? But oftentimes what happens is the collective becomes so powerful, these collective sins, and the sin becomes just the way of living, right? Where you're like, yeah, we're going to blame the Jewish people for all of our problems. They're the problems. They're the ones who are taking our jobs. They're the ones who are causing this economic recession that we're facing. So, you know, you know what? We have to get them out of society. And once we remove them from society, well, they're sitting there in our camps. They're eating all our food, like a bunch of welfare rats, right? So why don't we just, just get rid of them? It'll just be easier that way. It'll cost less money. And so the wholesale just start gassing all of these Jewish people, millions of them. Collective evil, right? We don't want to face it, but it happens all the time. This is, uh, these are skulls that are in the genocide um, museum. Uh, if you guys don't know what happened in Rwanda um, in the 90s, uh, late 80s and 90s, um, there was a massive, massive genocide. There are so many people killed during this genocide that we're not even sure how many. The number goes from about 500,000 to 800,000 people. And Rwanda is not a big country. Just a massive amount of people killed. And what happened was, it's kind of crazy, but back in the day, um, there were these two different uh, uh, classes of people called Hutus and Tutsis. And, and if you ask any historian or, or any uh, uh, person who, who has done research on this. They're like, Hutu and Tutsis are the same ethnically. They're the same people. But what they think is that way, way a long time ago, uh, there were people who were like closer to the king, and they were kind of favored people, and they were seen as like kind of the upper class, and they just kind of like had this term that was called Tutsis, right? And so those people were richer and more well-off, right? Um, and then what ended up happening was Belgium... Uh, colonized Rwanda. And they actually formalized this difference. I'm not exactly sure why they did this, but they started issuing cards for people. They're like, you're a Tutsi, you're a Hutu. And you had to carry around an identification card that said Hutu or Tutsi, 
right? And so the Tutsis were in power for the longest time and kind of lorded it over the Hutu people. Problem is, Tutsis were only about 15% of the population. Hutus, 85%. And once uh, uh, Rwanda gained its independence from Belgium, what do you think happened? <laughs> the Hutus rose up and started killing Tutsis. It was a vicious civil war that broke out. And Hutus, because there were so many more of them, they ended up winning. And then they started mass executing all of the, t- the Tutsis. We look at this stuff and we're like, man, this is evil. This is so wrong. How can we get to this? Right? How, can we, how could this possibly happen? Right? And friends, it's not that surprising. What, what you got to do in order, like, like if you want to commit a genocide... I mean, nobody really, I think, is like, hey, I want to kill a bunch of people, right? But if you want to justify it, this is what you do. You make yourself the good person, and then you make the people you want to kill the bad person, right? And then you, you say that the bad people are attacking you. And if you are being attacked, then you are perfectly justified in defending yourself and killing them right back. That's what you do. Right? This is a quote, and, and if you think this is just you know, relegated to some other country, um, this is a quote just from a little over a year ago. This is a fight for the future of the United States of America. It is a fight for the future of Western civilization as we know it. It is a fight between dark and light. It's a fight between the godly and the godless. It's a fight between good and evil. And we dare not fail or we will step out into 1,000 years of darkness. Some of you guys skipped to the end, and you saw who said this. Do you guys know who Roger Stone is? He's a major Trump supporter. And do you see when he said this? January 5th, 2021. you know what happened on January 6th, 2021? A bunch of American citizens stormed the U.S. Capitol by force, right? And, and you know, by all accounts, they were going to kidnap certain Congress people, Right? Some of them, they were going to put them to justice, whatever that means. I mean, you can only imagine when a mob gets involved. Some people got killed during this. Right? And a lot of us, we look at that. We were looking at our TV screens as you see all these people climbing the walls of the Capitol and barging in and just, ah! And we're like, how could they do that? How could they do that? This is what was said at the rally the night before. This is a battle between light and dark. They're evil. We're good. Right? I'm not making this up. This is literally what he said. It's a fight between the godly and the godless. Dark versus light. Right? We dare not fail or we step out into 1,000 years of darkness. Can you understand now? They're taking our election. They're taking our democracy. We can't let them do that. We have to fight. We have to do whatever it takes. Do you see how this happens? Right? And friends, by the way, Democrats, not that much better. Let's just say it. The Republicans are the problem, right? I've heard so many people, so many people who probably, you know, voted more like me. And they're like, I could never be friends with a Trump supporter. What do you mean by that? What do you mean you could never be friends with a Trump supporter? Oh, they're just, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. Dark and light. Right versus wrong. Good versus evil. Right? Now, friends, just imagine with me that you're God. And, and I know this sounds kind of weird, but just imagine that God created a race of hamsters. And these hamsters were so cute. And God was like, oh, I love the hamsters so much. 
But, you know, God lets the hamsters kind of proliferate for a while, right? And they, they build hamster societies. And after, you know, a couple hundred years of the hamsters being alive, um, half the hamsters are dead because their fur was a little bit darker than the lighter-skinned hamsters. And the, the hamsters have uh, been, been just murdering and, you know, enslave some of the other hamsters. Some of these cute little hamsters are in chains, right? And there's these fluffy, bigger hamsters that are carrying them behind them. Come on! Come on! Right? And they're whipping these hamsters. And they're, they're, like, there's some hamsters that they're sitting around and they're, they're really fat because they have all the cheese around them. And then there's other, like, really, really skinny hamsters that are, like, clinging to, to, to life, right? And they seriously don't have anything to eat. What would you do if you were God? What would you do? Would you be like, carry on, hamsters. I love you all. You guys are great. Or would you, as God, be like, I shouldn't have created these hamsters. (laughs) They've become little monsters. I can't believe they've done this. Let's let's create a different kind of hamster, right? Let's start over, right? I, I know sometimes we hear these kinds of stories and we're like, God, how could you? But when you look at the world and just some of the things that we've done to each other, I think you start to understand a little bit, right? We're not so innocent, right? There is wickedness within us. But God doesn't just kind of like blot us out. I mean, that's the amazing thing, is he could have. He should have. And he does in this one moment, right? But then, after the the waters recede, uh, after the flood is over, um, it says, uh, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Guys, look at what God is saying. He's saying, I'm never going to do this again, but... Man is still corrupt, right? Man still has these intentions that are uh, uh, evil and wrong, right? But he still says, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And then we skip to uh, chapter 9, which is what we read today where he says to Noah and to his sons with him, he says, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth I establish my covenant with you. Do you guys know what a covenant is? This is what's so amazing. This is what's so amazing about our God. Our God is so gracious. Our God is so merciful. This is what he does, okay? So what a covenant is, is it's, it's a binding agreement uh, between two parties, right? It's a way of binding them together so that they can be close to one another, right? So one of the, the best-known covenants we have is a marriage covenant, right? I agree to love you and be married to you until one of us dies, right? And we make that agreement with uh, each other, right? That's called a bilateral covenant, 
right? Each group says, okay, I'll do this, and if I do this, then you do this, and we have different conditions. So I will agree to love you and be married to you uh, until one of us dies, and the other person says the same thing, and so you've bound the covenant together. Sometimes in a bilateral covenant, you have the same conditions, just like in marriage. Sometimes it's a different condition, like in the law covenant, where Israel says, we will obey the law, we will follow your commands, and then you will be our God, right? So God is like, I will be faithful to you, I'm making you my people. And your side of the covenant is you have to obey the law, right? But there's a different kind of covenant, right? Covenant is just about binding two different parties, other people, together, right? But there's something called a unilateral covenant. That's where one side is promising to the other, no matter what they do. Look at what God is saying, right? He is saying, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And he said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations, right? He's going to put the rainbow in the sky. Every time it rains, right, we're going to see that rainbow and we're going to remember that God made this covenant with us. What do we do in return? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. God's like, I know you're still going to sin. I know you're still going to mess up. But I'm making a covenant with you. I'll never destroy you again. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Why would God do that? It's one of the things that we just have to throw up our hands and say, that's grace. We don't deserve that. We definitely don't deserve that. But friends, um, I want to just take a moment to just kind of think about, you know, what it means that... that, uh, we were destroyed by water. Because <laughs> water, is, it's just like one of the elemental forces, right? And water is just a wonderful thing. Water can be extremely life-giving. Right? Obviously, we need water to live, right? Water can be so beautiful. But water can also be destructive, right? You, you ever hear of anyone drowning in water? You ever hear of like tsunamis and floods and all these kinds of things, right? Water is extremely powerful, and it is an extremely important symbol for the Christian, right? And so one of the uh, uh, stories that that I I thought of uh, as we were, um, as I was going over uh, uh, this message was the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Do you guys remember this? So there's Jesus with a woman, um, and they're at a well, and this woman is uh, there at about noontime when the sun is the hottest, to get water. And the reason why she is there at noontime is because she, by all uh, uh, indications, is an outcast from her society. She doesn't want to be around other people. She can't show her face in public. So she goes at a time when no one else will be there to draw water. And Jesus starts talking to her, engaging with her. And he starts talking to her about this thing that he calls living water. And he says, if you drink of this water, you will never be thirsty again. And this woman's like, what? That sounds wonderful. Sir, give, please give me this water so I'll never have to come back to this stupid well and never have to see these stupid townspeople ever again, right? 
And so Jesus says something kind of weird. He says to her, he's like, okay, go call your husband. And it's probably like awkward, like, mm, Jesus, that's the one thing I didn't want you to talk about, right? And she actually says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you have answered truthfully. Because you haven't just had one husband, you've had five husbands. And not only five husbands, but the man that you're with now is not your husband. This is not 2022, but just imagine 2022. Imagine 2022 that you're going on a date with somebody, like maybe you guys are in your 30s or something, right? And you're like, oh, hey, you know, um, yeah, can you just tell me about your, your, your history, your dating history? Like, oh, yeah, you, well, I used to be married once. Like, oh, okay, cool. Like, like so married once. Oh, actually, I take that back. No, actually married more than once. Oh, okay, how many times? Like, twice? And more than that. <laughs> Three times? More than that. Four, wait, you've been married four times? Actually, five. Actually, I'm, I'm living with someone, and we're not married. Imagine first century Palestine, very traditional culture, right? That would be shocking in 2022. But back then, this woman, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying in that society, it, to be divorced, in many ways, people saw especially the woman, it's extremely sexist, but they saw the woman as being damaged goods. Nobody would want to marry them. And somehow, she was able to marry five times. And it's very telling that she's now not married because it seems to be that for whatever reason, she's decided, okay, I'm done. I'm not getting married anymore. I've been burned too many times. And actually, in that society, by the way, a woman could never initiate a divorce. So it's actually not her fault. She has been divorced five times. Right? And there's this woman that this would have been extremely shameful. Right? I mean, at least in the eyes of this society. We don't know all the details. But in the eyes of this society, she's made mistake again and again and again and again. And Jesus looks at her and is like, do you want living water? I want to give you living water. She's like, me? Do you even know who I am? He's like, yes, I want to give you living water. Friends, um, every time it rains, right, it's, it's supposed to be a good thing, but there was a time where it was not good where that water destroyed the whole earth because of our wickedness. But every time it rains, right, when the sun shines through, right, when the sun shines through that water, right, this is how you get a rainbow, by the way, right? When the sun shines through the water, right, it reflects and it separates out the colors so that you see this beautiful rainbow, right? And we see this beauty that comes through that, right? There's a reason why God picked the rainbow. Because it's associated with rain, with the instrument of destruction that he used to wipe out the earth. And when the sun shines through, it's a reminder, never again. I will not blot you out, right? 
There's one more covenant that has been made. And this is a unilateral covenant. This is a one-way covenant that God has made with his people. And it's what we call the new covenant. Right? This is why we talk about the New Testament. Sophia actually was talking about this when we're singing that song, Remembrance. Right? And the covenant is that Jesus dies for us on the cross for our sin so that now we can be reconciled to the Father, right? So that we can be made close. And, and what we're told, um, I mean, you know, I think with the rainbow, right, this idea every time it rains, it's going to come out. Every time it rains, you're going to see that sign of God's grace. And what Jesus tells us is whenever you meet and you eat in my name, right? We've turned it into this formal thing that we call communion. We're actually going to do it uh, next Sunday. But he says, do this in remembrance of me at every meal that you will remember when you break the bread and when you drink the wine, you'll remember that my body was broken for you, that you'll remember that my blood was shed for you. Friends, uh, I I know we we talked last week about sin, but maybe some of you are like, okay, Pastor Steve, you know, that was for somebody one time. But you don't know my story. You don't know how many times I screw up. You don't know how many times I've made mistakes, right? Or maybe you're just in, like, a sinful world, right? And you all are. And some of us were like, well, it's not really my fault because it's just the friends I run with, right? I didn't mean to do what I did, but I'm just influenced, right? I didn't mean to, to kind of, uh, uh, you know, be dishonest in my dealings at work. It's just my company. It's just the company culture, right? These corporate sins that we commit, right? And all of these things that happen again and again and again and again and again, you better believe there's grace to meet it. Every single time. That's the message of the rainbow. Every time it rains. How many times does it rain? Depends on where you live, right? (laughs) If you live in Seattle, it's like every day, you know? And every day, there's that reminder. I will not destroy you. I will not blot you out. I will forgive you. I will stay with you, right? And for us, every time we break bread, right? This reminder, God sent his son and his body was broken for us. I, I, I know that for me, friends, I need that reminder all the time. And one of the things that happens in this world um, is we're listening to that voice, right? That voice I told you about that's like, hey, do this. Don't do that, right? Go here. Don't go here, right? And you listen to this voice, and this voice is not bringing you closer to God. All it's trying to do is trying to maximize pleasure, minimize pain, right? And sometimes there are moments where I think we need to intentionally set aside time to think about what Jesus did for us. We need to intentionally think about the fact that, yes, we are sinners. Yes, there is something within us that has inclinations that if we follow them, it does not lead us in a good direction but there is grace to meet us every time. 
I'm going to ask the praise team to come up, and, and I, I, I want us to take some time. Um, they introduced a new song, which I have been obsessed with. I've been obsessed with this song on repeat. And it's kind of funny because the song is called On Repeat. I've had the song on repeat. There are times where I listen to it like 10 times in a row. And there are times where I need to listen to it 10 times in a row. Because I know my own heart. And I know the mistakes I make. And this idea that there is grace that, that is just on repeat. It's just, it just will never stop, Right? I mean, Jesus wasn't trying to, you know, like, uh, yeah, I mean, why does he tell us, do this often in remembrance of me? He knows that we're going to need to remember this. He knows we're going to forget. He knows there's going to be times where we cast down our, our, our eyes, that we cast down our faces, that we're just thinking, I mean, we're not even thinking, but we're just avoiding the fact that we are sinful. We're avoiding the fact that we're broken, right? And this grace is what allows us to lift up our face to God. And so, um, yeah, I I just want to make this song a prayer. Let's just go right into this song. Let's sing this as a praise to God. If we could all stand.